Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Welcome back. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving break. Happy to bring you this podcast episode. We're going to focus on Stryker today. I spoke with Andy Pierce. Andy's the group president of the MedSurge and neurotechnology business at Stryker. And then later on, I reconnected with Kevin Lobo, chair and CEO of Stryker. We covered a lot. Stryker had its analyst day recently, like in past Device Talks podcast episodes when we focused on different technologies and different conditions. This week, we're focusing on a specific company. The company is Stryker. So it's a really kind of cool way to take a deep dive on a single company. And, and we dove pretty deep. We covered a lot of uh, issues in Stryker. We talked about the uh, the right acquisition, the integration going well. We talked about Mako and sensors and how Stryker is uh, is working to address a, a shocking problem. Shocked me. Uh, the, the deaths associated with postpartum hemorrhaging. So lots to talk about. In the later interview, Kevin Lobel will talk about about uh, IPO windows and the state of innovation. So we, we really covered a lot. And I know you'll enjoy these two conversations. But before we roll in, I wanted to invite you to our Device Talks Tuesday discussion coming up this Tuesday. It's, it's really something that if you're interested in surgical robotics, you should check it out. It is sponsored by SHOT. And the title is How Advanced Visualization Technologies Are Driving Robotic Surgery. So we're talking about visualization. We'll have Tony Capobianca from SHOT, but we'll also have Tom Califf. He's a chief technology officer officer at Active Surgical, which is a, a very cool company. We had uh, the CEO on earlier this year. And uh, we'll also have on this panel, Alex Shannon. He is the senior director at Medtronic Surgical, who's working on their robotic system. So check it out. Go to devicetalks.com. You can register there. You can watch it live at 4 p.m. on Tuesday or you can watch it on demand. Also, we'll be dropping an episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast next week. So check devicetalks.com for that. Or of course, you can subscribe by subscribing to this podcast channel, the podcast channel for Device Talks Weekly. That'll send you the Intuitive Talks podcast as well. All right, that's it, folks. Let's go. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. Doing well. Holiday season is upon us. Happy Hanukkah to all of our uh, yes. our, our, our listeners who are so celebrating this week. And of course, uh, we're getting ready for uh, for our own holidays a little later down the, the month. I'm, yeah. I'm drinking my coffee. I've got a little oat milk eggnog in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a little bit of zhoosh, a little bit of flair, nice. a little bit of holiday nice. cheer. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. I cut down my own Christmas tree this year. Whoa. I know. Did that require heavy the, equipment? I, I, they had saws there, so we didn't have a Griswold moment. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. You know, go over to Christmas tree farm, pick out your own tree. Yeah. Yes. We got ours on set on Sunday as well, just because there was talk of Christmas tree shortages. I'm skeptical. We'll see. There were plenty of trees growing. <laughs> I'm told. At the farm. There are plenty of tre- pine trees growing around here in minnesota so you know I'm told we may have a dearth of trees in new england so i got mine just in case i hoarded actually i bought five of them just to hoard them because you know you're hoarding pine trees no i'm joking we just got the one and i, I had to run home to uh to meet someone who's looking at our trees coincidentally and there was a, a pie waiting for me chris newmar wow thank you for the Nothing. chocolate cream pie that was very you're kind welcome. of you 
It's from from Betty's Pies. Like our Minnesota listeners will appreciate that. This podcast is brought to you by Betty's Pies. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Betty. (laughs) I can't wait to have the pie. Sure, I'm sure Betty's Pies way up there in Two Harbors is uh, appreciating the free advertising. <laughs> <laughs> but you can vouch for these pies. You actually sent me one of these pies last year. I remember being delicious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. my my pleasure, man. It's awesome, man. It's nice to spread the holiday cheer and enough holiday cheer. Yes. I think we have some news to share. <laughs> da, 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 da. Let's move on to number five on the New Markers Newsmakers list. What do we got? All right. You know, number five on the list, um, this was interesting to me because uh, it, it's gotten thousands of uh, pages of mass device, but this is it's, this is in the CT platform world, which, you know, we don't talk about as much on here, but uh, G Healthcare unveiled uh, CT, man, you know, let's represent, you know, but uh, G Healthcare unveiled a new CT platform with, uh, it's got what they called like a built-in scalability, you know, that you can like upgrade the hard way where without like replacing the gantry. And um, I think what makes this really interesting for for readers is that they're, you know, making a, you know, a play here to, you know, save hospitals money pretty much. I mean, this is like, you know, something like, look, you don't have to like replace a ton of stuff mm-hmm. every time you want to upgrade your CT system. Like we've, we've got it right here, this, you know, modular or uh, CT system. Oh, good stuff and important as well. And, uh, and yeah. Lord knows we need, uh, need more accessible CT scans. So anything that works. Yeah. We're definitely, definitely trying to make healthcare more affordable here, you know, here in the U S so, uh, let's roll on to number four, the new market newsmakers. Yeah. Number four, um, this was interesting because this is Best Buy, which uh, if people don't follow them a lot, um, they've really been making a big play with uh, digital health. And uh, in recent years, um, you know, their top executives see it as, uh, you, know, you know, one of the things, you know, it's going to be a you know, big part of their business in the future. Like even like you get hooked up with a lot of, you know, digital health uh, at your house and, you know, someone in the geek squad could help hook it up for you, which is especially good if it's, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, senior who might not, uh, you know, understand how to hook up all that kind of technology. So, but they uh, spent $400 million uh, to acquire Current Health, which has uh, offices in Boston mm-hmm. and Scotland. And they've got, uh, you know, this whole um, digital home, digital health hub, including like a, you know, wearable vital signs ma- monitor, home hub, um, links in with the, uh, you know, with the uh, health providers, uh, electronic medical records. Yeah, just a really, uh, really interesting acquisition. You know, I think a lot of our listeners, I mean, their companies a lot of times are selling to uh, health providers, but, you know, we've got this direct-to-consumer option that's that's growing. And, you know, that's this Best Buy acquisition is, uh, is, is symbolic of that. Yeah, this is uh, in the article written by... You, um, Chris Newmarker. Somebody, yes. I, <laughs> Sorry, I had to scroll down. It's very, <laughs> very familiar person. You had the quote um, by CEO Corey Barry saying that yeah. uh, we'll be able to create a holistic healthcare, a holistic care ecosystem that shows yeah. up for customers across all their healthcare needs. And it makes the most sense. I mean, the hospitals are terrible at rolling out new tech and in, in sort of engaging with, with patients. I mean, I just signed up for my patient hub a year or two ago and yeah, it's rather antiquated. So uh, this, this, these kind of uh, reforms definitely <laughs> will come from the retail sector, where they just they know how to do this stuff. They really do. Well, and Best Buy's thing has always been like you know you you go to Best Buy, you're going to get experts who can yep you know tell you what you need, and you know and you you don't know how to hook something up in your house, they'll send the Geek Squad over. So. So there you go. You need, uh, you know, your uh, health providers telling you, you need a lot more monitoring in your house, like you know, for for whatever. You know, they 
and that you can get hooked up for that at home. Well, Andy Pierce, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So I've been watching the, uh, the Analyst Day presentation. It was very good. Uh, I was wondering, was that your first time standing in front of a, uh, a, a crowd post-COVID? Uh, have you been to other meetings or is this the first time you're actually seeing people in person or have you been out there already? Uh, well, I don't know if it's post-COVID, but uh, post-COVID being introdu- introduced to the, uh, to the world. Sure. This yeah. stage of COVID, yes. This, this stage, yeah. Uh, well, we have had a number of different striker activities, small groups, uh, of course, conducted safely. But this is the first time in front of a group that large, yes. And how did it feel? It's nice to get out there again. It felt wonderful. Uh, it is always energizing to be around uh, any humans these days, especially <laughs> uh, people in our industry that understand what we're doing and uh, to share a little bit about our company is, is always really fun. We're, we're proud of what we do. Excellent. Great. I want to, uh, I want to pursue more questions about the company, but first I'd like to, as I always do, I'd like to find a little bit about our guests background specifically. Uh, how did your, how did you find your way into the med tech industry? Sure. Yeah. I was, uh, a very early starter at Stryker, uh, and Stryker was my, my first company post-college Wow. and, uh, actually continues to be, that's why I'm here. And I never left along the way and came back. So, uh, just over, 25 years with the company. And um, uh, long story short here, I, I grew up in, in Western Michigan in a house where my father was actually a small town family physician. Oh. So I saw how hard he worked and uh, chose to not pursue becoming a doctor, but was very interested in finding my way in some way, shape or form into the medical field. And believe it or not, Stryker really was not a household name, even though we were in West Michigan at the time and uh, showed up on, on campus. I went to a small college in Western Michigan, showed up on campus to recruit, and I signed up. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. I fell in love with the company, uh, the people I met, the culture, what Stryker stood for, also being founded by a small town West Michigan uh, physician. So it all lined up and, and here I am. That's fantastic. No, that's a that's a great origin story. All right, well, let's start. Uh, let's let's drill down on the on the on the business a bit. Uh, talk a bit about uh, the MedSurge and Neurotechnology Group. It's a it's a very uh, 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 you have a you have a wide portfolio covering a lot of different areas. Maybe we can kind of tick through some of them. Sure, I love talking about our business because we do so many amazing things for our customers to help them serve their patients. But for the outside world looking into striker, it's a lot easier to understand hips and knees or spine implants or trauma than it is to uh, look into MSNT and sort of decipher what we do. <laughs> the, uh, the group is pretty big. We have six different operating divisions uh, that are within the group. And in those operating divisions, we have 13 individual business units. So our org structure, Tom, is that we have two groups in the company, uh, operating groups in the company we call our our commercial businesses, orthopedics and spine, that's run by my counterpart, and MedSurge and Neurotechnology, that's mine. And we structure underneath that our operating divisions, and within our operating divisions are those business units. So as I said, six different operating businesses in MedSurge and Neurotechnology, and 13 business units, very specialized. uh, And we address about 19 very specific market segments within those business units uh, in terms of the product categories that we compete in. 
And uh, we have a number of different ancillary products as well. But uh, that's the group. And I think on average, it's somewhere in the ballpark of about 60% of, of Stryker's annual revenue. Okay, great. And those businesses offer, I want to I want to focus a bit on some of the programs you're working on, but looking a little more about the, the businesses. Uh, I remember in the presentation, you were talking about your efforts in R&D and, and M&A, and we can talk about maybe M&A strategy in a bit, but each of those 13 businesses, they all have their own R&D, par- R&D departments. They all have their own M&A groups. How do they work together or how do they work independently? Well, they're quite independent mm-hmm. and we, we like our, our structure. It's very entrepreneurial the way Stryker operates. Uh, if you can imagine to a degree, our, our corporate office, uh, which I'm part of these days, operates uh, more or less as a holding company. There's, there's not a, uh, an extensive amount of operational activity that happens out of corporate. All of the action, if you will, happens inside of our businesses and at the business unit level. And we provide a tremendous degree of autonomy uh, to our businesses to make decisions on products that they choose to develop, products that they choose to acquire, or companies mm-hmm. that they choose to acquire. And um, we, we expect a lot out of them. We expect growth. We expect them to win in the marketplace. We expect them to dazzle our customers and deliver for the company, but we give them a lot of leeway. So the, uh, the domain expertise that's developed within those teams to understand their technology, uh, the procedures that they are addressing, and just generally their markets, their competitors, their, their customers. And with that comes very independent budgets. Mm-hmm. So they uh, are able to allocate as appropriate themselves within the division, within the business unit, and put that, uh, that, those investments to work to deliver on, on our, our mission as a company. Occasionally, uh, we have cross-divisional or cross-business unit activities that are M&A-based or our platform development in, in R&D. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have very collaborative leaders in the company that come together as appropriate align around those priorities and help our businesses to actually deliver on cross-business initiatives. Uh, but most of the activity, if you look inside the company, happens directly within the business unit. They run their businesses every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, very entrepreneurial, a lot of autonomy to, to go out and uh, execute what they, what they need to to win. So let's talk about one of those broader programs. I don't know if it fits under the, the suggestion you had just offered, but your Journey to Zero initiative, is that something that covers all of your businesses and that is a, a, a priority for, for all? Talk a bit about, about the program and sort of how does it fit into the, the corporate structure? Sure. We have a, a broader initiative in the company uh, that we call safety and outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that is helping our customers to achieve their mission to provide safer, better care for patients. And of course, uh, with that also comes safer, uh, better working environments for our our customers themselves. So uh, each of our businesses in the the journey to zero, uh, nearly all have some role in that. And if you think about what the journey journey to zero actually is, uh, this is a, a concept, an initiative, that's been championed by the Joint Commission for 20 plus years around providing safer patient care. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look into Stryker and you understand our history, 
patient safety, caregiver safety is in our DNA. Uh, the founder of our company, Dr. Stryker, his first invention was the turning frame. And that was all about uh, making life better for patients that were immobilized uh, by easily turning them so they didn't develop pressure sores, pressure ulcers, and making life easier for the caregivers to actually turn patients very simply with a, with a turning frame. And from there, whether it was his inventions or inventions that we have in the company ourselves organically or inorganically through our M&A processes, we are always seeking to help our customers uh, achieve their mission of safer patient care. The journey to zero is quite specific, though. That is around uh, never events mm -hmm. that are well-defined. So, for example, uh, hospital-acquired infections or patient falls, um, things like that that our customers are, are trying to achieve for, for their patients and for their employees. And so we have a number of different product categories that are quite specific. So if you look into our bed portfolio, it's really built around, it's not just a bed that a patient lays in, but how can that bed provide safety features so that we can minimize patient falls out of those beds? Um, if you look at uh, never events like uh, HAI or hospital acquired infections, we have a great portfolio in our SAGE business uh, that addresses that. And there's a number of different types of products all the way down to very specific products, say for uh, catheter acquired urinary tract infections. So we have a, a real ethos in our company that is driven uh, to, to seek out products, again, whether that's organically or inorganically, that help our customers uh, achieve zero harm for their patients. So looking at the territory that Stryker products cover within the healthcare spectrum. And, and you had a slide up there during the presentation where basically from, from the moment there's an event to getting the patient at, at home after the hospitalization, Stryker sort of has a presence in, in all of that. Uh, how do you see things developing in that sort of continuum of continuum of care? We, we keep hearing about uh, the movement to get care out of the hospital, to have more hospital at home. How does Stryker sort of look at that dynamic and that change? And, and how do you respond to that as a, as a business? We certainly want to meet the patients where they are. Right. And in some circumstances, like you're describing, help transitions as well as uh, if there are safer sites of care, for example, or less expensive sites of care. So for example, moving patients out of the hospital environment, which is quite expensive, into the ASC, from the ASC to the office, and over time, there very well could be some of our patients that move from the office environment actually to home care. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do have a few products today in our Sage business around uh, infection control that are actually used in the, the home environment. Uh, but we are definitely seeing transitions uh, relative to sites of care and are working hard to be part of that transition. Um, particularly from the hospital into the ASC environment. But if you look into our ENT business, for example, uh, a number of those procedures, which we are helping to move from the ASC to the office, which is an even lower cost environment and actually uh, more convenient even than the ASC, which is quite convenient relative to the hospital uh, environment for, for the patient, uh, we're helping those transitions occur. And again, I think that goes to our deep specialization that we can operate and meet those patients where they are, operate within that continuum of care 
all the way from an event, like you said, if there's a, a car accident on the on the side of the road, a patient needs to be transported or cared for in the back of an ambulance, all the way, uh, as noted, into that home care environment. One of the really unique aspects about our company is we have specialists in our company that follow all through that continuum of care for our patients and drive innovation in each of those steps along the way. How does Stryker identify where the patients are and where they, they want to be be met. There was discussion about your your R and D and your marketing working with with physicians. I'm kind of wondering what that process is like to meet with your customers, be them physicians, or at least understand where the patients are through the physicians and, and understand we can change this product to make it do this or to allow it to be done there. Can you just sort of describe that that process a bit? What is that relationship like between Striker and and the customers that help you sort of develop your strategies or or your next products? Sure. Yeah. So it's a it's a wonderful question. We we have domain expertise, as I mentioned, by specialty. So mm-hmm. let's say we have deep domain expertise, as many know, of course, and orthopedics across our company. Uh, so yeah, sure. We understand the specialty well. Uh, we make products that help our our specialists perform care for patients, but that's traditionally been in a hospital environment. If you just look at the orthopedic patient, the hospital environment has certain advantages, let's say space is one of those for uh, reprocessing or sterile processing of of products that maybe an ambulatory surgery center doesn't have. Mm -hmm. They have less space, they're smaller. So we'll work in that case, not just with the the clinical specialty, but the business side and the ASC to say, what are your pain points to performing patient care that maybe today is being done in the hospital environment for various reasons that could be done in the ambulatory environment, uh, same-day surgery, if you had innovation that did X, Y, and Z. For example, if you cut down on the number of instrument trays to perform a total knee, what could we do there and what what innovations could we bring you to help accelerate that transition to a lower cost, more favorable site of care for the patient? Uh, So we're always seeking not just that clinical side, but the, Mm -hmm. the realities of the operational uh, side of providing patient care and how we can help accelerate the those journeys in healthcare and and frankly be on the the right side of healthcare. What is the relationship like with the ASCs? You had a panel of of three surgeons who uh, were owners or co-owners of ASCs on stage at your at your meeting, and uh, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name who moderated the panel. But you have a specific business that's targeted toward engaging and serving ASCs. How does that? Describe what that organization is and how does it fit into uh, into Striker? You bet. So one of the also unique things about our company is uh, we do operate quite independently. So this uh, decentralized structure that we have is not just the 13 business units inside of MSNT, but an additional nine if you look in our orthopedics and spine business. So 22 separate business units mm-hmm. falling on the ASC customer. The ASC is a little different from the hospital. The hospital has specialized service lines and leaders in each of those service lines, and they can handle on the business side doing business with uh, a larger group of of striker professionals. On the business side at the ASC, oftentimes you have a single point of contact that wants to engage with companies like ours. So we can be quite complex in that environment. And we recognize that trend over time that Care was moving to the ASC. In fact, Stryker has a long history of uh, products being used in the in the ASC. But the trigger of the total joint over the last several years, moving from the hospital to the ASC, 
really drove us to say, how can we be easier to do business with, with the ASC customer? We know that we have a compelling portfolio for the ASC customer. If you look, we're almost a one-stop shop for what they need, uh, whether that's in the ENT space or sports medicine or total joints, uh, even in the general surgery world. But doing business with us isn't always the easiest thing. And that's why we started the ASC business within our company. And that Mm -hmm. is to provide a single point of contact for the ASC business decision maker uh, to engage with Stryker and structure their deals, structure their programs with our company. And it's worked out tremendously well. Now, we also maintain specialized clinical uh, selling and and service. So the the ASC customer still loves having that specialized sales rep that understands power tools or the total joint showing up and helping them achieve their goals clinically, but having that single point of contact to make Stryker easier to do business with uh, has been a huge benefit for our customers. Interesting. I'm just going to hop around just a little bit. Uh, I, I spoke with uh, Kevin Lobo. The interview will be in this in this podcast episode. We talked uh, in, in watching the Analyst Day presentation. It was a discussion about the hospital bed. And I never kind of had it never occurred to me before that the hospital bed, as simple as it may sound, is actually such an important point when it comes to data collection and, and patient monitoring and the innovation that can be done with even something like that. Can you talk a bit about your, your, your bed program and sort of what, what does a hospital bed of the future maybe look like? Like what, what's the potential functionality in the future? Sure. Yeah, Tom, uh, I think the future is now a hospital bed, as I, I noted earlier, certainly is a place of comfort for yep. a patient. Uh, but with that, time in a hospital bed can actually come some dangers for the patient. So whether that be uh, pressure injuries that can happen from being on your back or side or wherever it might be, where you have bony prominence too long, say in the heel or in the sacral area. Uh, And the bed now can tell the caregiver uh, when that patient needs to move, when they've been in a certain position too long, the bed can actually tell the caregiver through some of the technology that we have, uh, that a patient may be uh, moving in a way that they could potentially fall out of the bed uh, and set certain alarms. The bed can help with all of the uh, equipment that's in a room to funnel um, information to the, to the nursing staff as to what might be happening with that patient's vitals, for example. Uh, so there's a number of different things that the bed is capable of doing today. And uh, it's, it's just a been a wonderful, our, our newest bed, Procurity, has been a, a wonderful option for our customers. Um, and if you think about just simple mechanical aspects of having a bed that's really low to the ground. So if a patient is uh, a potential uh, for, for a patient fall, somebody that's moving a lot, then you can drop that bed really close to the ground. And if they do fall, then uh, of course the injury is hopefully going to be nothing, but certainly would be much less, much less if they're high, uh, high up. So uh, another uh, aspect of that bed is wireless connectivity. So mm-hmm. uh, we certainly hear about wireless in our, our personal lives and wireless has moved into the, the hospital environment as well. So wireless connectivity for nurse call, for example, um, is something that that bed offers. So lots of different types of technologies that um, 
are being introduced through the bed to help provide better patient care. Well, looking forward, what sort of innovations will we see coming out of your businesses? What what do you think is particularly exciting that will uh, that will help patients, will help physicians, and uh, will just kind of move the move the the healthcare sector forward? Sure, I would say, Tom, that we have really amazing innovation happening all throughout our company, and specifically within med surgeon neurotechnology. Again, our structure drives this deep domain expertise. So you have professional marketers, R&D professionals, business development teams scouring the, the world for opportunities that may exist outside of Stryker with domain expertise in their space. And what does that mean? That means that, uh, say, if you're in the bed business or you're in the power tools business, you know everything there is to know about activities that are happening outside of our company. And uh, probably the most important is the challenges that our customers face when they're using those products and the types of procedures that that is what they're trying to accomplish with those products. So there's no perfect product yet. Uh, We believe there's innovation to be had everywhere. We do not believe that there is such a thing, at least in our world, of commoditized products. And we we seek opportunities to improve all of the time. Uh, Now, really neat products that are happening. We just introduced uh, that are coming to market. We just introduced in the US our in-space balloon for uh, irreparable rotator cuff repair. This is an amazing technology that uh, patients really don't have great options for irreparable rotator cuff repair. So if you think about these patients, their, their humeral bone uh, rubs against one of the bones in their shoulder. It creates a lot of pain. And the, the patients typically are a little older. They used to like to play golf or play tennis. And now they have really bad options for care since it's irreparable. And our in-space balloon is a small uh, bioresorbable balloon that hmm. almost acts like a little waterbed, a little cushioning (laughs) between those bones that are rubbing together. And what it allows the the body to do by reducing that pain is to actually be rehabilitated. So all of the muscles, even though the rotator cuff is torn, all of the muscles take over and they get strong again and they compensate for the lack of a rotator cuff. And what we're seeing out of these patients in terms of lack of pain, increased mobility, getting back to playing tennis or golf has been really amazing. So we seek opportunities like that. That happened to be an acquisition, but we find those companies through our specialized people with deep domain expertise. We find those opportunities to take meaningful innovation to the masses at Stryker. Most of the time, those are small companies. Uh, They don't have the channel might that we have at Stryker. And we find those opportunities and we we bring them uh, and share them with the world, if you will. That's great. And just final question about another acquisition, uh, Goss Surgical. I know it came up uh, a few times and actually in the conversation that I have with, with Kevin Lobo as well. Uh, how did that company come together? And talk a bit about why why it's so different. I think Kevin had said that it's the kind of company that maybe wouldn't haven't even existed five years ago, and now it's a, a big part of Stryker's plans going forward. Yeah. Uh, Goss is a really neat company. So if you think about what we are trying to do, and that is that journey to zero that we talked about, provide mm-hmm. better, safer patient care, help our customers do that. Every four minutes in this country, this is hard to believe, I know, in, in our advanced healthcare system, but every four minutes, a mother dies from excessive bleeding 
during childbirth. Wow. And this postpartum hemorrhage uh, issue is actually uh, one that is uneven across socioeconomic lines, across racial lines. Uh, it's usually poor minorities that are impacted more. So uh, it's really tragic. Wow. And Gauss has sought to do, and this is where Kevin was going with technology that may not have existed, is they've developed a system that uses uh, machine vision, machine learning, and AI to determine how much with precision blood loss that that patient is experiencing. Today, it's uh, uh, pre-Gauss, if you will, pretty archaic the way that our customers have to try to determine blood loss, and it's very imperfect. Uh, you'd be shocked to know that the, the percentage that our customers are off and generally in estimating blood loss is pretty extreme. So if you can have a degree of precision, you know exactly how to care for those patients, whether they need a blood transfusion, whether they don't. And the Gauss technology, again, using that machine vision, camera technology to determine uh, exactly how much blood is inside of a canister or how much blood is on a lap sponge that's being used uh, can give a degree of precision on how to provide care for that patient. So we're super excited about that, but that has very modern technology that sure may not have existed uh, in, in, in previous times. That's remarkable. That's, that's a shocking, uh, sh shocking amount of death that I, I didn't know it was, it was that frequent. So uh, those, are the, those are the kind of things that, uh, that, that stay with you. Well, that's a, a, an excellent and important, I think, poignant way to end the conversation. Um, it's great that you work in all these terrific technologies at Stryker, and uh, I'm grateful for the time you took today on, on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. All right, Chris Newmarker, we're back with number three on your vaunted Newmarker's Newsmakers list. What is it? Well, number three is related to uh, we, we, the... Um, Omicron variant of COVID, which I don't know about Tom. It sounds like a villain from the Avengers. It really does. Yeah. yeah it the does age like of it. Omicron. Sounds like he'd be fighting Optimus Prime. Uh, definitely Decepticon variety. So, uh, well, now you're moving Transformers into this. Like you're, you know, uh, why do we Avengers, be... Transformers, same thing. Omicron. Yeah. Like, listen, like, Disney doesn't own everything. I don't have to use MCU. <laughs> we can bring in Transformers. I was gonna do like 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 <laughs> COVID make Hawk angry. <laughs> anyway, we have an article about Omicron, don't we? Yes, Omicron. Well, I mean, you know, with uh, this uh, you know new variant of concern in the world, and they're still uh, you know trying to you know figure out how much more contagious it is, whatnot, but. You know, definitely a lot of mutations, a lot of worry around it. You know, we saw like a slew of of uh, med tech companies this week. Uh, you know, reassuring you know uh reassuring the public that their the test will still work with this new variant even though it has all these mutations i mean we, you know, we were hearing from like abbott bd hologic perkin elmer thermo fisher um and uh and just to top it off we had the uh interim uh fda commissioner dr jan woodcock uh you know weighing and that you know at least uh preliminarily that there's a low lag likelihood that the tests are going to be impacted and we'll uh we'll know soon whether how much it you know affects the uh vaccines as as well though um i mean it sounds like the F pfizer and moderna ceos and generally what i'm you know hearing out there in the news is that it's uh you know the the vaccines should you know still like keep us knock on wood keep us out of the hospital you know especially we have a booster but um yeah like pfizer moderna 
there and his top executives say they'll uh, they'll be working on a new new version of the vaccine if they have to. Yeah, the Moderna CEO, which is probably because I got the Moderna vaccine a couple of weeks ago, was fairly noncommittal about its effectiveness. Basically, he said, I don't have the data, but it might not work, which I wish he just kind of stopped at. I don't have the data. <laughs> yeah, I like the, that. The might not work stuff really got played up. It's like, let's just, let's just wait and see. It's like, look. Yeah, we just got to wait and see and... And we'll just exactly. stop throwing your arms in the air and running around in circles and let just exactly let the smart people figure it out. So exactly. Yeah. People need, shouldn't do their own research. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm going to trust the experts on this one. All right. Yeah. Well, Don't let's... listen to me about it either. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. We would count ourselves amongst those people you should not listen to. We don't even listen to ourselves. Exactly. But, but the, the companies that make the tests are, yes. are reassuring the public yes. as is FTA. So. Now, the, the question about the tests is, can they make more of them? Because there's they're very hard to come by. But uh, hopefully we'll get that supply chain and workforce issue yeah. sorted out. Especially eventually. that even today, uh, the, you know, uh, you know, President Biden is, uh, yeah. you know, announcing, you know, measures to get insurers to like pay for these. So, I mean, obviously the, the demand could could go up yep. so yeah uh, i was talking with one uh contract manufacturer today and they work with a diagnostic company or two and their main challenge is finding workers to man the lines like they don't they, they've got something over 50 open positions that they just can't fill and they they're doing the best they can to keep up with demand but it's a real challenge so the challenge everywhere and you know I, and you know as we um talk to different companies I mean, you're hearing all kinds of stuff right now like offering bonuses you know whatnot and still hard interesting times interesting let's move times. on to, to number two on the new markers newsmakers well number two on the list we got uh depew synthes uh you know buying uh, orthospin and it's a uh, robotic external fixation system and uh yeah it's another uh surgical robotics play by uh by j&j so i mean they already have their uh you know valley's robot assisted knee replacement system out there and the uh you know the orthospin tech um you know it's a robotic digitally enabled external fixation system you know for orthopedic treatments so so yeah very really neat really interesting very cool now i talked with that uh, we'll be hearing from kevin lobo striker in a few minutes and uh, we talked a bit about the competition that's moving in robotics wise for strikers strikers mako and uh striker's pretty happy about it they say the more robots ro- more robots that come in the more conversations that are had about robotics and the more strikers involved in those conversations. So they really see like the it as rising a, tide lifts all the that you might hear a rising tide mentioned in the podcast. Oh, wow. So, and he also hinted about, you know, a possible interesting future for Mako as well. So stay tuned. All right, let's roll on to, to number one on the new markers newsmakers. Well, number one, we've got, you know, Boston Scientific is initiating a uh, clinical trial to uh, evaluate its MCRM uh, modular therapy system. This is leadless pacemaking. Um, this is actually combining a leadless pacemaker with a uh, ICD, you know, that, that wirelessly uh, communicate with each other. Amazing. So this is kind of like their their play to compete against. I mean, Medtronic has had, you know, a lot of success with their leadless uh, micro pacemaker, um, you know, a- Abbott, now is, you know, working on its, uh, hopefully I pronounce this right there, a veer leadless pacemaker. I would go with a veer, yes. Yeah, severe. So, uh, so yeah, this is Boston, what Boston Scientific is, is doing in this space. And uh, they've uh, had the first procedures at a Cleveland Clinic. And uh, off we go. Fantastic. This is all yeah. very cool technology and very important technology. So excited to see competition emerge in, in spaces as well. And we're seeing it with, now we're seeing it here, or at least beginning to emerge. We're seeing with Taver, seeing a lot of competition emerging in Taver. So uh, I think competition is good. 
I think everybody thinks competition is and good. And the lead investigator out of, uh, you know, out of a Cleveland clinic was like saying he thought this this approach with uh, the Boston scientific system, you know, could uh, could really benefit a, a large patient population too. You know that uh, you know having a leadless pacemaker inside the heart communicating with a uh, you know subcutaneous ICD, uh, you know, you could really. Uh, he was saying he thought this could allow like the majority of lethal arrhythmias to be painlessly terminated. You know, versus you know like you know you can have um, plantable ICD shock can be can be painful for a person. So um, you know this is uh, this, this could be yeah this could be a real improvement. We'll see how it goes. Kevin Lobo, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you back. I really enjoyed your analyst day uh, call. It was uh, very informative, a lot to go through, uh, and it's going to really uh, feed this interview. So we've got a, a few things uh, to talk about. Uh, one, I, I want to kind of start off with the, the reorganization, uh, or I don't know how you're classifying, maybe not reorganization, but you've, you've realigned your 22 business units and went from three business segments in, into two. I'd love to understand what went, uh, what went on behind that, why that was done, and how you came up with this uh, this configuration. Sure. The first thing I'd say, Tom, is that it's not a reorganization. <laughs> I, knew you'd, I knew you'd call me on that. Yes. What is it? It's really just realigning the external reporting that we do with the way we're structured internally. Yes. So most of the companies that I've worked in will have external reporting that is close to the internal reporting, but it's never identical. Mm. And today we have two group presidents, Spencer Stiles and Andy Pierce, and the businesses that they run are not neatly represented externally. Mm -hmm. So going forward, you'll see orthopedics and spine, which will be Spencer's businesses in one segment, and you'll see med surge and neurotechnology uh, in another segment, which is Andy Pierce's businesses. So it's just a cleaner reflection of how our businesses are aligned internally. The other change we're making externally is we're, we're pulling out neurovascular as its own division. Mm -hmm. It used to be buried inside uh, neurotechnology and the other three groups, we're going to rename neurocranial, which is CMF, cranial maxillofacial, ENT, and neurosurgical, which are powered uh, tools for, for neurosurgery. So very subtle changes, same 22 business units that we've had before. They'll be reflected again in the new model. It, and it's really just realigning for internal uh, simplicity. So the employees aren't getting new business cards or new nothing like that. Okay, nothing like uh, that. Nothing. <laughs> uh, what I'm just curious as to the pulling out of, of neurovascular. Um, does that suggest any sort of emphasis is going to be put on that, or again, is it just uh, just kind of more of a, a book bookkeeping strategic sort of uh, realignment? That change is just a reflection of the uh, explosive growth that we've had with neurovascular. Mm -hmm. So when we bought that business and the about a decade ago. It was about a $250 million business. It's more than a billion dollars now. It's been a tremendous growing, fast growing business. And so it really deserves to be pulled out just given its size. So the fact that it's grown so explosively warrants it being pulled out on a separate line. That's mm -hmm. the only reason. Excellent. So let's move into uh, into growth. Uh, you talked a great deal about your growth and looking ahead for for 2022. Uh, listening to the analyst call, you, you said something that sounds. I'm sure. I'm sure anyone who went to business school knows the thoughts behind it, and it seems intuitively makes sense to me. But you said once you're already the leader in a space, the notion of doubling down becomes less interesting. That you really want to kind of find new tech and grow what you have as opposed to making a big bet like it did with Mako a few years ago. Explain that that statement to me a, a bit. Flush it out if you would. The strategy that we've had at Stryker since I've been CEO has been what we call category leadership. 
mm-hmm. where we've we tried to be the category leader being number one, number two, you could say even number three, as long as you have a meaningful number three presence. Being a category leader means you're relevant. The customers need to include you on any kind of bids that they're having. And you really have expertise and specialization and skills that can deliver value for the customer. Mm-hmm. So when I became CEO, we were not category leaders in spine, in sports medicine, in extremities. And we've now become category leaders in those three segments. And we've addressed all of the major gaps that we had to reach category leadership. But once you become a category leader, the idea of doubling down with similar products that look what like what you have, you're just gaining scale, but not really any differentiation. And to me, that's an uninteresting way of deploying capital. Mm-hmm. Mako was quite different because we brought new value proposition to our existing customers, as well as the ability to gain market share with a differentiated offering. So I'm not saying that we would never do a deal in a space where we're a category leader, we always have little tuck-in, little gaps in our portfolio that every business is always looking to, to add to expand their presence. But to do something large, the, the question was in response to uh, acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And, and the question was, do you see yourself going out and buying something else that would give you a lot more scale when you're already a category leader? And I just don't believe that's a smart use of capital, that you're better off getting an adjacent technology, getting something new that's differentiating versus buying something that's very similar looking to what I have now just to make me bigger. Because once you're already a category leader, you already have a seat at the table. Customers are already inviting you in. You already have dedicated sales forces. So there's not much more to gain. Just being big for the sake of being big is is usually not a smart way of deploying um, your capital. Gotcha. I want to I want to drill into M and A in a moment, but let's just talk a bit about your your strategies for growth that, that maybe aren't merger and acquisition related. Uh, looking ahead to twenty twenty two, how are you looking to to grow the businesses you've got? Every one of our businesses has a pretty exciting pipeline, and I could spend a long time going through every one. We do have some very uh, exciting launches planned in the hip category. We have a new stem that we're launching which is a fit for purpose stem for the direct anterior approach, which is a less invasive approach to hip surgery. Mm -hmm. We had it again, this is an example of a gap in our portfolio where we didn't have the, let's say the ideal stem. We do have a stem called Accolade 2, which is used for in the direct anterior surgeries, but there's another type of stem with a collar that a lot of surgeons like. We didn't have that in our portfolio. We are launching that at the end of this year in early uh, sort of pilot procedures and it'll be full launch at the AOS meeting at the end of March. So that's one example of a very exciting new product. We have our Procurity Bed, which is being rolled out gradually. We have four models, and we now have all four models now launched. And that'll be a launch that'll build over the next couple of years, a wireless bed, a new bed frame, which is very exciting, low height, tremendous smart features in the bed. Very excited about that. Our neurovascular business has a number of new product launches that are gaining steam into next year. And I can go on and on. Every mm-hmm. single area has a number of products, but those are the, the, the three that I'd point to that are extremely exciting going into next year. Interesting. The, the, the bed thing, the bed thing, your bed, your, your bed product, it was uh, Spencer, I think, was making a presentation. Uh, I think it was his presentation on the analyst call where he was sort of conveying that 
someone coming in from an accident is going to sit probably within three or four striker, I think you call them striker ecosystems, and the bed would be would be one. Uh, and you del- deliver- delivered it very well. Uh, but it occurs to me now that you're talking about sort of a wireless bed. I mean, that that does present an opportunity for data collection, correct? I mean, having a bed that's, that's synced up and connected. Explore that a little, dig, dig into that a bit, if you would. What, what are the opportunities there? Absolutely. Not just the bed, even Mako is a robot that yep. collects data. We have Physio Control, which has all kinds of connectivity. We have a number of our products that have digital features to them that are collecting data, and that data can then be used to have better patient care. In the case of our beds, fall prevention is a major issue for patient care. Mm-hmm. And the, this will connect wirelessly to the nurse call systems and alert a nurse if the patient lowers the, the post before they try to exit the bed. Those kind of automatic warnings will help prevent falls mm-hmm. and really get the nurses um, informed about what's going on with the patient. And, and so that type of connectivity and, and these beds have tremendous amount of technology in them to measure patient movements. And, and if they're not moving enough, should they be turned, should the patient be turned? Many, many things like that that'll improve overall care. And we're just scratching the surface right now with what the future holds for this. And so we're very excited about continuing the advance around our smart bed. In addition to other features, like the low height feature is a great feature of this bed. It's the lowest bed. So you can sit on the bed and put your feet on the floor. Okay. Again, another reason why, uh, if, you, if you know any patients, my mother is only five feet tall. She has a lot of trouble getting in and out of beds when she had to go for her surgery. And, and when I talked to her about this bed, she was wildly excited about the idea of easily exiting her bed or being able to get onto the bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mom is slightly taller than that, but yes, I'm familiar with the dynamic. Uh, that's that's great. Oh, that's that's fascinating. So let's talk a bit about about M and A. Uh, I want to let's talk philosophically in a moment, but let's drill down and, uh, specifically on Right Medical. You were celebrating the the year end close of the of the deal. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how successful an integration it was. What makes for a successful integration? And maybe in, in explaining that, how did that how does that apply to what's going on with uh, your acquisition of Ray Medical? I've been extremely pleased with this integration. It's been one of the best we've done in, in, in the time that I've been at Stryker. And frankly, if you look at implant integrations, they're very difficult. As you know, you've seen in spine tr- tricky integrations, and we had mm-hmm. our own with K2M that was challenging. What makes for a good integration is you, if you have very little Salesforce disruption very little customer disruption, which has been the case uh, in this deal. And that's because we made very fast decisions around sales rep territory alignments, around the management structure. We decided to specialize into three separate business units, an upper extremities business unit, a core trauma business unit, a lower extremities business unit. That caused a lot of transition inside of Stryker. We even had branches that used to be responsible for both trauma and joint replacement that are now responsible only for joint replacement because we pulled the trauma out. Again, that creates a lot of risk when you have this level of change. And the fact that all of our businesses have moved very seamlessly through these transitions, we've had very little Salesforce attrition. Our customers are extremely happy. I've had a chance to interact with many of the surgeons on both the striker side as well as the right side who feel like they have not been disrupted through this change. So those are all the elements that I would point to. I would even say also launching new products. When you do mm-hmm. these types of integrations, sometimes R&D slows down. Through all of this integration, we launched the new Perform Humoral Stem in upper extremities, and we have six product launches planned for lower extremities uh, in 
in uh, 2022. So very exciting that this integration has not disrupted the new product engine and has just not disrupted anything in the field. We continue to enjoy very good growth rates. Now, obviously, foot and ankle has been a little affected by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's more elective. The, the bunions and hammer toe procedures are, are more elective, but total ankle is doing exceptionally well. And the entire shoulder business is continuing to roll. It was already a high grower prior to the acquisition. It's continuing to go very, very well. So those are all the reasons I would point to that, that, that really say this has been a fantastic integration so far. Do you go into an acquisition knowing the integration, knowing how the integration will go just by looking at the parts of the company and think, no, that'll fit in nicely there, or that'll fit nicely there? Or is it really, is this, does the smoothness come in, in the execution and the people involved in that integration? People is the biggest part of every integration. People and culture, I would say, together. Mm -hmm. And their culture, we knew their culture was a good match for ours. It's proven to be the case. But the leadership has done a wonderful job. In this case, we have a right medical person leading upper extremities, a right medical person leading lower extremities, a striker person leading the core trauma, and of Mm -hmm. course, a striker president overseeing the overall business. Nice mix between right and striker. It's not that one group is dominating the other group. We're actually melding the two together extremely well. But leadership is always the key to these types of integrations going well. We had baked into our integration sales dis-synergies, which typically happens because you lose customers, you lose salespeople that defect and go to other companies. That's been very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. Far below what we had expected and modeled as we did the, the acquisition. And we also were worried, I was worried, about the impact to core trauma and to joint replacement. I call it shrapnel. I was worried that, that there would be shrapnel that would hit mm-hmm. these other parts that weren't directly affected, that weren't the, the core extremities businesses. And those, both of those businesses have done very well. If you look at joint replacement, it's been affected by the pandemic, but competitively holding our own and not having any uh, negative impacts. And core trauma is actually starting to thrive. I think they, their resources were somewhat diluted because they were spending time also on extremities as well as core trauma. Now we have laser focused uh, specialized business unit just on core trauma. And that business has done very, very well. Interesting. Let's talk more broadly about M&A then, but, but focusing on right still, because I, I found comments, there was, a, there was probably about six or seven minutes of, of when you were set up there with your leaders and kind of a panel format, you were talking about M&A uh, and you had mentioned uh, valuations. And the fact that sometimes you need to wait for a company to grow into the valuation they they were asking, and that was the case with with Right Medical. You've been monitoring it for for several years, and it was finally at a point where you thought the price fit. Uh, does I'd like you to talk about that, but but I'm also wondering, does it also work with culture that you have to wait for a company to be kind of large enough to really fit into a larger company? Does that make it easier? For me, the culture aspect is only important if it's a large company. Okay. Many of our deals are smaller companies and the culture match is less important. Mm-hmm. If I'm buying, just look at the InSpace balloon as an example. Great product that we acquired, Israeli product, as you know, is now approved in the United States, has been in Europe for about 10 years. We're buying a product. We're not really buying a full company. Gotcha. In that case, culture is a little less important because it'll be the striker culture that will dominate post-acquisition, other than perhaps the R&D pe- people that come along with the deal. But oftentimes we buy a product, we don't bring a lot of people with it. Mm -hmm. Then culture is less important because it'll end up being the striker culture that will be adopted. If we're buying something that's larger with that's bringing in the case of right medical 3000 employees with it, culture is very, very important. 
but I don't, we don't wait for companies' culture to mature. Okay. It's, the timing of the deal is really based on the valuation. So in the case of Wright, we were very excited about their, their business years ago, but they were growing fast, but their earnings were very, very low. And over time, they continued the high growth and then started to develop a pathway to have improved earnings. And we're starting to improve their own earnings. And it reached the point where the math worked. And we just couldn't get the math to work earlier on when the stock was at $30 and their sales were half of what they are, let's say half a billion dollars and loss making. Mm -hmm. That math was challenging. Once their sales got close to a billion dollars and they started making profits and the stock was still around $30, suddenly that became very interesting for us. Great. So, looking at, at potential deals going into 2022, you noted that you've done over. You've, I think you've done over 50 deals. You said since you've been CEO uh, overall, nine years. Yeah. Nine years. Um, you're, you're mentioning that you're a market leader in many businesses already. You may not make. You're less likely to make larger acquisitions in those spaces where you are market leaders. So, do we do we interpret that to say that you're going to do mostly smaller deals and, and tuck-ins going forward, at least 2022? I don't know how far you can forecast out. What does that look like? Do you think in the core businesses, we'll be focused mostly on tuck-ins, mm-hmm. but we will be looking at adjacencies more and more over the next five years. We'll be doing more of our deals in adjacencies than we have in the last five years, and just to define an adjacency. It would be a new technology, not necessarily a brand new business, mm-hmm. a new division that we'd report separately to the investors. Two examples are stage and physio control. You remember those acquisitions we did? Sure. Those became part of our medical division. Those were adjacencies. They were new defibrillators, a new technology for us. The stage products were new products for the intensive care elements of hospitals but they became part of our medical division. Those expect to see more of those types of acquisitions from Stryker in the next five years. And they're not limited to small dollar values. They can be larger, larger deals as well as we pay down debt and continue to generate cash. And frank, frankly, we're doing extremely well on the, on the pay down of debt. We're about nine months ahead of schedule because of the the successful integration that we had so far. That's terrific. So, and you, and there was a conversation again within the call that just talked about, uh, well, you, sort of about the state of, of startups. You, you first said that uh, that multiples have gotten high. We we're talking about M and A, uh, and and uh, again that right earned its way into evaluation. But then you said the IPO window frustrates us, but it's brought <laughs> but it's brought more money in, into medtech as a result. So, I imagine what is frustrating about about the IPO window for the first five years or so of my tenure as CEO, the IPO window wasn't really open. Mm-hmm. And that was great for us because these companies <laughs> would come, they'd come to pitch their company to us. Yeah. Now they have two options. They can be bought by a strategic like us, or they can go IPO. And many of them have gone IPO and have had great success mm-hmm. with very high valuations. So it's not great to have that as a new competitive force that they have that option. And those valuations then tend to run up pretty high. If you look at some of the companies that have gone IPO, some of them are very interesting to Stryker. And they're in spaces that are adjacent to where we play. And they're spaces I've mentioned in the past. But you look at their valuations on the public markets, they're sky high and difficult for, for us to pay a premium on top of that valuation. But it's been good for the medtech industry overall. Yep. And bringing more innovation is a good thing. Sometimes it's it means we'll have to be patient and wait for, for the stock to drop or 
in when when I say earn their way into their valuation, that's from my point of view. Sure, of course. They may feel that they're fairly valued. <laughs> I'm today, sure they right? do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, in the eye of the acquirer. <laughs> I, I feel that they have to earn that for for the way we value the company, they have to earn their way and or their stock drops because being public is it's not easy. Every quarter they have to testify now to their investors. And if they have a blip or two, uh, it can be very painful, as we've seen with smaller companies that are single product companies that have something happen in the marketplace. They're more volatile. They trade, they, they move up and down much more in a more volatile manner than a company like Stryker does. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you've mentioned- we'll have, to, we'll have to sometimes be patient and wait for our opportunity, but it's good for the industry overall, but prices have risen and it makes it challenging sometimes to- make sure that we can deliver value. There are many assets that we like, but at certain price points, it's just not going to be value creating for Striker, and we have to deploy our capital elsewhere. You mentioned the ele- the elevators go up and down, and, and when the elevator goes down, uh, there are companies- We'll be that, ready. Yeah. And you've, <laughs> you, you acquired, you've acquired companies in the past that the elevator, have taken the elevator to, to lower floors, we'll say. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Well, even, even Mako, just as an example, yep. when we bought it, you remember it wasn't the most popular acquisition. I do. Their stock had gone from $44 to $18 in a year. Mm-hmm. We paid 30 and people were outraged because 30 compared to 18 was a giant premium, but it certainly was a lot less than the $44 it was the year before. Yep. So just yep. as an example. Right. And we had uh, we had Maurice Ferre on, on the show uh, six months ago and he'd given the great, great quote that you went and visited him in Florida yes. and told him, Look, I'm willing to bet my job on this deal, but I'm not willing to wager the company. It's like, <laughs> I, I thought that was great. Uh, but you also, uh, one of the offshoots was uh, that you said start, startup, the startup environment, in your opinion, has never been healthier since you've been at Striker. You're seeing a lot of new companies being created and they're creating companies that you have purchased, like Goss, that you would not even have known, might not even existed five years ago. So, Correct. so you're optimistic about the opportunity to acquire real cutting edge technology, new companies developing cutting edge technologies going forward. Very optimistic. It wasn't that five years ago, I was a little nervous, to be honest, mm-hmm. thinking that maybe the runway of acquisitions would start to dry up a little bit. I feel very differently now. Part of it's the, the, the funding, the venture capital money that's poured into the system. Part of it's also digital. So being able to have smarter devices, and, and all these digital tools is, has really opened up new avenues for innovation that frankly didn't exist five years ago. And I actually, well, let's see. Actually, I want to talk quickly about the, the, the focus on global expansion. You mentioned the benefits of your transatlantic operating mall, but then I want to get back into robotics and, and sensors and, and, and wrap up with a few other things. But uh, globally, you were, t- you were happy with your growth in Europe and outside the US, and you were saying you're overly weighed. Over, overly weighted in the U.S., partly because of all the acquisitions you've made. How, how are you sort of balancing things out, uh, your business in a global way? We still have a giant opportunity internationally for Striker. Our U.S. sales are about 72, 73% of our total sales. That's overweight compared to a typical global company. Part of that's because we acquire companies that have a lot of U.S. revenue. And part of that is we still have terrific opportunities to expand. Europe has grown faster and Stryker's growth rate for four years in a row will continue to do so, but it'll be a gradual climb. Emerging markets needs to be growing about 20% a year for Stryker, which it did in 2019, mm-hmm. and needs to do that for the next decade. It's only 6% of our sales. We have a huge opportunity. So especially with these companies we've acquired, we now have to take those 
to international markets. If I look at something like the, the Tournier shoulder implants we, that we acquired from Ray Medical, we're just launching that in China. It's just being launched. So new product for, for them, new market expansion opportunity, which will be very significant. And, and those abound around Stryker. We have great leadership teams we've now put in place. We were poised. I was so excited at the end of 2019 that we finally found our, 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 our footing in emerging markets. And of course, COVID hit and that has changed everyone's world. But we still have significant opportunity to grow around the world, not just in the emerging markets, even continuing the pace that we've had in Europe and even in Japan with technologies like Mako that are newer to those markets because of the regulatory pathway. We only have about 20 Makos in Japan. We have Makos in over 30 countries, but small scale in many of these markets like Brazil and Russia, where because of regulatory, they've only recently been approved. Mm. I didn't want to spend any time on this, but I would love 30 seconds on we're talking about, we're watching the Omicron variant. I wonder how Stryker, do you have like a, a someone sort of assigned to tracking uh, variants to, to tracking surges. Uh, how are you just watching this this global up and down? We watch it the same way all of you do. Yeah, we, we watch the news. We obviously deal with hospitals. We have on staff a medical director that has a background in infectious diseases, mm-hmm. which and she provides us with terrific advice based on her background and her connectivity with the government, with the CDC. And we watch it just the same way you do. And it's been very frustrating, as you can imagine. We thought when we gave guidance at the end of the second quarter that much of this was behind us, the Delta hit. Now we have the latest variant um, hitting. We still don't know at this point how big a deal this is going to be. We know it's spreading quickly, but we don't know yet um, how virulent it is, nor do we know whether, whether these vaccines and the boosters that people have received, how effective they are against the variant. We'll learn more sure. in the next week or two, but we're just learning to be resilient as a company. It's it's not been fun, certainly for the hip, knee, and spine businesses, which are most exposed uh, during these periods of time when electives get uh, shut down. Those, those businesses represent a little less than 30% of our sales, and those are the most impacted. And very difficult to manage a team when you're the goalposts keep changing um, based on what's happening in the exterior, uh, exterior environment. But okay. Hopefully this will get put behind us uh, before too long, and we're going to have to learn how to live with with uh, these rolling issues. Absolutely. So let's. Hospitals are getting better. Hospitals are getting better at dealing with it, which mm-hmm. is good news. And hopefully the governments won't move into lockdowns. Uh, That's a good point. No, we are, we are we are least experienced at this. So quickly, I know you got to get going, but uh, robotics. Uh, you sold your one thousand Mako. Uh, it was the numbers I thought were interesting. We're over, we're over, we're over oh. 1,300 now. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Thirteen. <laughs> I, I must have misheard yeah. that. No, 1,000 in the U.S. Oh, in the U.S. Okay. Uh, I think it was in the U.S. Over 60, you said, I think Spencer said over 60% of the time, 60% of the time you're selling into a competitive implant account with your makeup. So Correct. Correct. So that's impressive. And that one out of two of your knee implants are implanted with a robot, which I thought, was, I didn't realize the, I didn't realize it was that high. It's a spectacular growth that we've had far faster than I expected. The uptake, I really believed it was going to be compelling and we would have this strong adoption, but it's been faster than I expected. So we only launched the total knee application about four years ago mm -hmm. and we're up to fully launched it four years ago. And to be at one out of every two knees in the United States 
uh, going in with Mako is amazing. That's that's great. So there's a number of companies that are have rolled out their own systems. We'll be rolling out more systems, soft tissue, some some orthopedics like you. Uh, you mentioned that you see those new players providing a tailwind to Striker. Explain how that works and and how do you compete with them? Because many are saying we're not a robotics company. We're a digital company. We're going to have sensors. We're going to have the whole bit. They're taking it kind of carrying it 10, 10 yards further up the field. Well, first, let's start with robotics. Yep. Soft tissue robotics and hard tissue robotics. The soft tissue robotics, Intuitive Surgical is clearly the leader there. And you have Medtronic announcing that they will be coming up with their version, which is being trialed in India right now called mm-hmm. Hugo. And then J&J has a program which will be launched in a couple of years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you have a number of other smaller companies. You have CMR in the UK. You, you have an, an, and probably another two dozen small startup companies in the soft tissue space. That's not a place where Striker plays today. It is a space where monitoring potentially one day would be something that we would like to be able to enter. Not obvious what the path for that would be mm-hmm. at this point in time. And, and so that's soft tissues on one side. Within hard tissue robotics, which is where my commentary was made during the analyst meeting, I believe that it's a tailwind to have other players in the hard tissue game. We are by far the clear leader with Mako, with, as I mentioned, more than 1,300 robots installed globally. We have a huge head start versus the competition. And more recently, J&J has come out with their version for total knee, but we have a robot that's for total hip as well as partial knee, as well as uh, total knee. And it's the same robot, just with different attachments for all three applications. And we believe that that more players that come into the market creates more interest. And so those surgeons that, let's say we're, in this case, Depew surgeon, gets to look at something that's robotic, that opens the door for them to also consider Mako. And we love our chances side-by-side competing with any of the systems on the market. And I would love the water level of robotics just to keep rising because we know we have a fabulous platform and with hospitals buying their fourth and fifth Makos, we know that's not for marketing. They're buying those fourth or fifth robots because they're getting terrific outcomes, great results. And and the surgeon and the patients are very happy with the product. It just brings more attention to the space and we like our chances competitively. And on the sensor side of it, what else do you, what else, what do you have to do to, to advance the robotic platform? So, so sensors to me, there's, there are robotics and sensors is just another technology. We call them enabling technologies, mm-hmm. So there are technologies that help enable better outcomes and sensors are different than robotics. It doesn't compete at all with robotics. It's, it's additional at providing additional value. We brought author sensor. That's our version of, of sensor technology that we're pretty excited about. Mm-hmm. I believe it's, it's going to take time for sensors to really become tremendously value adding. Unlike robotics, which is you do with the procedure, you, you see the benefit immediately when you're doing those procedures. In the case of sensors, we have to acquire data mm-hmm. over a period of time, determine which is the data that's the most meaningful. How is that data going to then provide predictive algorithms for the surgeon to know, okay, this patient you, is having a problem with rehab or this patient with a BMI of this should get this type of an implant. So what you want with sensors is over time to, to, gain, to gain knowledge, which can then be used to feed back to the beginning of a procedure or to improve the rehab of a patient uh, post-surgery. That's going to take time. So I don't believe that, that sensors, I'm very interested. I believe it's going to be very exciting for the long-term future. But in the short term, it's all about gathering data. 
And then once you gather that data for a two or three year period, then figuring out what in that data is going to help provide tremendous value to improve outcomes longer term. It's a bit of a, it's going to take more time than people think in terms of its being ability to create tremendous value over time. But I'm, I'm bullish on it long term. It's just not something that's going to be moving a lot of market share in the next couple of years. Well, that's great. Final question. I just want to, we, when we spoke last, uh, we certainly talked about efforts by the medtech industry to improve diversity uh, within its workforce. I know it's an important issue to you. It came up in a conversation I had with Kwame Elmer of MedTech Color a few weeks ago. He said, you're, you're, they want to give you a seat with the, your, your name on the plaque because you're such a frequent visitor to their MedTech Color breakfast. So how are things going? First is Stryker. Give yourself a, a report card. How have things gone this past year? And then maybe uh, if you would just look around the sector, around the industry and give us an idea how, how you see the situation changing, if at all. I'm very excited with the progress, both at Stryker and within the industry. Uh, at Stryker, our employee resource groups are absolutely thriving. We did a survey on inclusion during the pandemic, and most companies' in, inclusion scores actually went down, engagement scores went down, and ours actually went up modestly, which was terrific. And we believe that that's part of that is the focus on, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have diverse slates in two-thirds of the candidates that we've been hiring. And we've hired over 50% that have been diverse this year. So it's not just having more people to interview, but mm-hmm. we're actually selecting uh, a high number of, of, of diverse people. We have a training called Think Twice that we created internally at Stryker. Fabulous training on diversity, equity, and inclusion. 90% of our managers have been through that training. We had a, we set an audacious goal of 100% of managers getting the training done this year. We've already had 90% there, and we will get to 100% of managers. It's a fabulous training, again, in-house developed. And it basically says the idea of think twice is that you're not responsible for your first thought. Everyone has a bias. It's not your fault. But you are responsible for your second thought and your first action. Mm-hmm. And it trains people to sort of accept your bias. Don't feel bad. It's not a shaming. We all have our biases. And, and so those are examples within Stryker. As for the industry, I passed my chairmanship over to Mike Minogue, as you know. He's maintained diversity, equity, and inclusion as a major pillar. We've focused a lot on clinical trials. Uh, we have Ashley McAvoy, who's leading a pillar around um, racial inequities and healthcare disparities which is very exciting work. And so we're making progress uh, in both attracting people to the industry and also dealing with with, uh, disparities within healthcare. Very pleased on both fronts, the striker front as well as the industry. Still have a long way to go, but we're on a very, very positive trajectory. And as you know, this is something I feel very, very passionately about. Excellent. Well, well, thank you for the work on that. Thanks for for, uh, the update on Striker, and uh, thanks for, for joining us in the podcast. Thank you. Fun to be with you. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Chris, a new marker. Now, we should tell folks that this this little new marker with these makers is a bit of a tease because you will not be here next week. Right? Yes, I am uh, taking a little, little bit of time off for the holidays. So, But you'll be scouring social media for, for comments and posts, I'm sure. So how can folks connect it's with you on social It's hard to stay media? away. Just when I think <laughs> I'm out, they pull me back in. No, it's, I mean, it's such a fascinating field. So yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So, you know, always happy to talk with people. Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And you can also find me on Twitter at Newmarker. Awesome. And I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. I'm on Twitter at MedTech. Tom, you can find this podcast many, many places. You can go to devicetalks.com. 
where we have this in our other podcast, Medtronic Talks and Intuitive Talks posted up there. Uh, we'll also have information about our upcoming in-person meetings and our ongoing Device Talks Tuesday sessions. That's all up there. So go to devicetalks.com. You can subscribe or follow this podcast on every major podcast application. And we would very, 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 very much appreciate it if you would share this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast on social media. And please like, cat- follow, subscribe. There it is. We got to get the merch. We saw someone else yep. had merch in our company. We need to get merch. I am looking for the merch. Well, we will have merch at our, uh, like, what do you think, Tom? We'll have the polo shirts or something at the Device Talks Boston. If, if Chris Newmarker has to pay for it himself, we'll have merch right. available to people. We're going to buy Device the merch Talks for Boston. everybody? Wait a second, Tom. Wait, no, no. <laughs> if we get more podcast listeners, it's totally worth it, Chris. My kids will lose their college education, but I'll be like, but look at these cool polo shirts. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's a wrap. Tune in next time for another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Okay, stay safe. Happy holidays.